One, two, three, four. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Lay It on the Table, the Southern Board Game Podcast with the accent on Southern. As usual, I am your host, Joe Mahaffey, and for two episodes in a row, I have nailed that. I just want to point that, that out, James, deal. that I have gotten that right twice nice now. I am on my way. As usual, my partner in crime. James Engelhart. Uh, good to be here. It's a sunny early afternoon, and it's uh, nice to be inside talking with you, Joe. Yeah, here we, we have are. a guest. We do have a guest. So I want to set this up right, because the last two episodes, we have been talking about the OGL. And when we first started talking about it, the OGL had just blown up and become a real mess. Uh, the last time we were here, we had the opportunity to speak with Christina Stiles from Christina Stiles Presents and talk about the impact of what was going on in the OGL on the, the third-party publisher, the independent person, and what that might mean for their livelihood. And one of the comments that I made during that episode was that there were a number of YouTubers out there that were really using this opportunity to create a crisis that creates clickbait, but that there were a few adults in the room and one of those adults in the room, from my point of view, is Professor, Professor Dungeon Master from Dungeon Craft. And we are so happy to have the professor himself, Professor Dungeon Master, here with us today. Hello, Professor. How are you, sir? Terrific. It's great to be here, Joe, James. So, um, you know, as, we were, as we've been looking at this, obviously, since we last spoke with Christina, a lot has happened. Um, Hasbro has come out and, and done the what I'll just call their their corporate mea culpa. They have moved the OGL into the Creative Commons, and they have said, kumbaya, let us all get along in peace once again. Um, but I think the only reason, in my opinion, that we got here, and we'll talk about what we think here is and what it means for the future a little bit later, but I think one of the main reasons that we got here is because uh, people like yourselves in the community uh, when I say was that we're the adults in the room, I don't mean that from the context of everybody saying settle down and, and let's not panic about this. I think it was really more in the standpoint of don't get scared. This is really where we are and this is really how we express ourselves without being chaotic. In fact, I thought your video where you really called out the way you talk to the people at Hasbro if you were addressing them in terms of politeness and professionalism. Really went a long way, I thought, in the way that people perhaps address their surveys. But before we get into all of that, I just want to kind of get it from your perspective as this thing was happening in real time. What was going through your mind? And how did you kind of think through the content structures that you were going to put out while this was, was happening? What was going through my mind is I had to make content as fast as possible because it was changing on a daily basis. And if, if I spent, you know, sometimes I spend a week on a video and if I spent that long, whatever I would have taped would have been over. So it, I was doing three videos a week, I think. Um, so the, I just wanted to get it out as fast as possible. And I'm, I was also trying to make it, make sure it was accurate. And I wasn't going off rumor and innuendo because I know that if you have to backtrack, people will call you out. 
Yeah, we saw that with, and I thought he did a fine job with it, D&D Shorts, when he realized he had kind of overstepped his bounds. He was able to walk it back, which gave him some credibility, because I think a lot of folks kind of let that stuff sort of exist in the ether and, and really didn't do much about it. Yeah, I, and the other thing I was going to say is I was really amazed as this, as this was transpiring. See, I've always been sort of like a counterculture kind of underground D&D homebrew kind of guy. And I've been critical of Watsy and I for a long time. You know, I've said this is what they're doing. This is the virtual tabletop. And what I was surprised at is that you had so many YouTubers like D&D Shorts. I never would have expected just everybody in just there were everyone came together. And in my opinion, risked a lot more than I did. You know, somebody like a D&D Shorts or the Dungeon Dudes or Ginny D, they're risking more. Oh, sure. They've always been super pro D&D. And I was amazed. I was just gobsmacked that everybody was on the same page. And thinking of the small creators, many of whom their livelihood depends on that OGL. So I'm really proud of the community and what they did. Yeah, you know, and it was interesting, too, not only to see that unpack on the YouTube channels and obviously some of the other social channels like Twitter. Uh, I travel a lot for my real-life job, and in any city I go into, I always seek out the, the local game store. And in, during the month of January, I've had an opportunity to get into a, a few others that are not my local one. And uh, it was really interesting to see the consistency of sentiment um, from store to store about how this was impacting the community. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that um, I, I think, from my perspective, Hasbro doesn't get in the sense that they think Dungeons & Dragons players and Magic players are the same kind of thing. And you cannot monetize those different crowds in the same way from my perspective. So I think their, their reactions to it was sort of indicative of that from, from my point of view. I agree. And they're they're two totally different games, and they're very different from video games. Oh, absolutely, Dungeons yeah. Dragons especially, <laughs> which is not going to stop them from their VTT. So one of the things I really liked is you you went through one of your videos that talked about you know it, it was more of the rhetorical video where you you talked about some of the arguments, and what I really liked about that particular video is that when I went to do the survey it really helped frame up in my mind the way I wanted to articulate things and draw back to why they shouldn't give up on the OGL. In fact, I, I copy and pasted everything I put into the survey just in case for whatever reason. Uh, I had a, a, a glitz because the first time I tried to use it, it, it the browser broke and it, it wouldn't let me back in. So I had to, to, to get back in and try it a different way. Um, and I was trying to use very cogent arguments and say, look, we really understand what's going on here. You can't, this is an irrevocable document. And I, and I don't know if I would have been as articulate with that had it not been for the way you got me thinking about it. That's probably a better way to say it, the way you got me thinking about it. And I really appreciated that. Thank you. That's a very nice compliment. That's what I, what I try to do. I teach rhetorical analysis and uh, communications, and that's my fields. So... I think it's important to when you're when you're arguing, you you choose the right words, or you're trying to persuade someone. You have to choose the 
the correct words and you don't want to offend them. Sure. And you don't want to uh, come across as, you know, offensive and you want to separate the people from the corporation, what they're doing. Yeah. And no, I think that's, that's really fair. Cause there are really a lot of good people inside of wizards of the coast um, and Hasbro, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I'm more familiar with the personalities around, you know, Watsy just because of, you know, the hobby I'm interested in. Um, but it's interesting. So, you know, uh, they moved through to the 27th when um, Kyle Brink finally came out and announced the changes that would not take place with the OGL and how they were moving it to Creative Commons. And that was um, that was around the time of your video. We win. Wizard surrenders. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, from your perspective, as somebody who's a content creator, as, as somebody who is also a, you know, a YouTube influencer, what, do, what was your reaction to their move into Creative Commons? And, and what do you think this, where are we today and where does this go, in your opinion? That's a big question. So where, where uh, the initial part, like what was my initial reaction? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's start there. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm Mr. General here. <laughs> my you know, initial let's... reaction was... It was a Friday. I had already done five videos in a week. Jeez. I had put up two of them. I'd put up two of them. And I said to my wife, I canceled one of my weekly Dungeons & Dragons games. I have three of them. And I said, let's just go out. Let's go out and celebrate because my YouTube uh, silver play button had arrived. I saw that. And I thought we, um, my son and I, we opened it. Um, and we were going to shoot a video with us just opening it, which we did. I said, thank you. And the idea was, let me just put this uh, aside. I'll edit it tomorrow. We'll put it up for the patrons tomorrow. And we're going to take off. I'm finally going to rest. And literally, as we turned off the camera, my phone started buzzing from my trademark attorney who sent wow. me the article that said, you know, we won. It was from, from Polygon. Wow. And then I said to myself, uh-oh, now I have to do another video. <laughs> now i got to do another video right away. And that was the fastest video. The video that you mentioned was yeah. the fastest video I've ever made. It was less than an hour, and it was up. That's great. That's great. So, you know, I was surprised. I had, in my mind, I had, I was prepared to for it to take a long time. So I was really surprised. And I think it has to do with the movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was the, that's the, uh, the, that's the primary concern is the movie. Uh, and that's why they did. That's why they capitulated so quickly where it goes. We don't, I couldn't say because it's never happened before. Mm -hmm. And I, it's like, when we play Dungeons Dragons or any role-playing game, we really don't know what the whole community is doing, what they're doing at their tables. And I don't know how people are feeling. I am on Twitter. It seems they're still angry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. that That's still a subset, I think. <laughs> Just because of where Twitter is these days. But yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but, so we'll see. Well, you know, so I... I one Go of the ahead, questions James. I had sort of thinking about all of this is, is this going to be sort of frozen with 5e and backwards? Is Are they thinking about doing something different with 
one D&D? Is that going to be a, a different enough animal that they're going to feel that they can say, well, that's that. This is our new thing. We're going to make this other side more digital and that you can't touch. Um, I had some just random speculations in my head, which is where these things happen. My feeling is that everything that they're doing with 1D&D, including the playtest, is geared toward a virtual tabletop. That's where it's going. And whether it's monthly subscription fees or if you want to play a, an elf, you got to pay a few more cents. Mm. Or if you want to, you know, choose to be a purple tiefling or a blue tiefling, that's another 50 cent. I don't know. But everything that they're doing is built toward that virtual tabletop. They're hell-bent bent on it. And I don't think they're really concerned with a tabletop in-person community. Is my personal opinion. And do you think that that misses the mark? I, I do. Joe, not one to bury the lead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't do it's this for hard, It's hard to say. It does for me. Yeah. It does for the people I play with, even young people, even people as young as 12 years old. They want to play D&D in person. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I, th- I can imagine... A separate, a separate game. I can imagine uh, a hybrid game that just goes in a different, different direction as a totally different audience. I really don't know. I, I really couldn't say. Well, and that was kind of at the at the core of my question to begin with, too. Is is the OGL for the tabletop, and then then you find the different way to monetize by skinning and all kinds of different things that you do with the VTT. And it feels like um, uh, the the woman who came from the PlayStation side of things, that feels, that just has, feels like those fingerprints are all over it. Yeah, the Will- Williams. And the yes, yeah, that's it. Williams yeah. from Xbox. Yep. What I know about Wizards of the Ghost, what I believe uh, is it's a lot like a Dilbert cartoon where you have the designers here, people in the middle, like Chris Cow, mm-hmm. and then you have Cynthia Williams, and I, I could believe she has no idea what's going on. Yeah, I think the way she talks about it in the public, um, not thinking that the communities listen to what is said, um, is an interesting approach. But you know, fr- from my perspective, I see you know, the human the humans species has always used oral tradition from the very beginning of time. And I think D&D is a great manifestation of collaborative storytelling. And that's why I think the table, being around the table physically is so important. I mean, the pandemic has forced us to play games like this. You know, James and I live in a different city, so we do use Zoom and we do use Roll20 in our personal game. But the, the table is really not the thing. The story is still being told by the people around the the virtual table in that sense, and and I think that with you know when we can get back as we get back in person, um, I can't get James to move to the city for some strange reason. Uh, <laughs> so weird. But there are other players. You know, it's it's a very different experience, and I think that that's what people crave is they create that that human connection. I so I think you're right. I think it could be a different market. I just don't know how viable that market is given the investment that they've made because they paid a, a boatload for 
D and D beyond. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, and Adam Bradford and those guys, they, they were very smart. They cashed out and now he's over doing his next thing with the Nexus. Uh, and it's going to benefit Pathfinder in a very similar way. So it'll just have to have to see how it, how it comes about. But I just don't think that if they left it the way it is, I think it's a valuable tool for the way that people like to play. Because even when you have a collaborative group around the table, I see people with iPads all the time using their character sheets and doing that instead of paper. And, and I think there's, there's, there's viability to that. But anyway, I know that we're kind of prognosticating on, on what may, might be, but I think that, you know, um, from the perspective of where we are and where we think it goes, I've seen a number of YouTubers speculate that it's still not over, that there's another shooter drop. What, what are your thoughts on that? I generally think things are, they are, you know, Occam's razor. It's the simplest explanation is generally the, the truth and lack of communication. It was overreach mm-hmm. and uh, another shoe to drop. I can't imagine what it would be. But the, the, the trust is certainly gone, right? We have Cobalt Press running, you know, they're going ahead with Project Black Flag and Paizo is going ahead with uh, the Orc and people are moving on. People are moving on. People have quickly retrofitted their their games so they don't infringe in any way Wizards material. And I think that uh, you're going to continue to see that. It's very difficult. It's going to be very difficult for third-party creators. Really, <laughs> it made them aware of the potential vulnerability of uh, this big company changes their mind. I don't think that it's going to go back to the way it was um, anytime soon. Do you think that the goodwill is completely gone and irrecoverable? I don't know. I don't know. I think that what they were always doing, and this is why the Dungeons & Dragons movie is so important. I don't think it's important to players. You know, every once in a while I do an episode on this this movie. Right. And 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 they never track well. I like, I just don't, you know, they, they just don't get that many views. I don't think anyone's really interested in this movie, but it's very important to them because what they're after is they're not after our generation. They're not right. after the Ginny D generation. They're after kids right now who are 12. Yeah. They're after my, my daughter who's 14 and has a little group that uh, she runs. So, yeah. So that's, there is a, there is a uh, a feeling like Hasbro, like let's we already have this audience. Let's go after this bit broader audience that may be out there, and that's what that movie is for. So they don't really need the goodwill if they have a create a totally different audience. They don't need the goodwill of of anyone. Um, it's a flawed strategy, but that's I think what they're thinking. Yeah, well, that tracks. Well, what's the old Samuel Clemens, or at least it's attributed to, to Samuel Clemens? Uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. It seems rhymes, like we've yeah. been down this path before with Dungeons and Dragons, with different owners, and well, even the same owner with. Well, I was going to say this feels yeah. very much like TSR in the '80s and early '90s. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Bloom Brothers getting, you know, Gygax maneuvering around him, around them, and then uh, the former publisher coming in and sort of changing the world and not really understanding what uh, she was doing either. So, 
Well, you know, no, please go ahead. I'm sorry. I think there are some uh, some differences. Having uh, just read, and I recommend to everybody, Slaying the Dragon, I think that there's no question the Bloom Brothers just had no background at all in business. And Lorraine Williams, it was the wrong business. Mm-hmm. And Cynthia Williams has been thrown in there. I think this situation is a lot more like Pathfinder. It's the fourth edition Pathfinder thing. That's the parallel I see, where this company has total dominance, and they've just created their main competitor. Got it. That's how I see it. And the thing is, it was an unforced error. They could have left it alone, and they'd have been fine. The no, people would be hyping up the movie. Some, you know, the influencers that are now ignoring it, um, and it would be moving in that direction. It was just really an unnecessary move, in my mind. But the other thing, I mean, I'm- I can see it from a corporate level as being a, you know, we need to grab, we need to make things better for, you know, claw back some of the stuff. And again, this feels like early D&D as well, you know, and like, oh, we're going to start suing everybody who puts D&D on their stuff so that we can. Um, and so they overreact and play it badly. And yeah, it's just fascinating to watch. And I think, um, Professor, uh, you're right about the um, the way that this is how you create your your biggest competitor yet again by accident. Yeah. Well, yes, I agree that uh, that part of it is like TSR, like let's get litigious and just <laughs> that, that was like TSR. And it's, yeah. it really goes to show you that there's no memory there at that company. And think about it with the OGL. These are people, all the people that were 40 years old and making the decisions, even at Hasbro, once they bought it in 2004 or whenever. Now they're retired. Now they're retired. And you have a generation that does not remember either TSR or Hasbro's acquisition of the, you know, Wizards. Yeah. Of, they have no idea who, who, who Peter Atkinson is. And that's how you have these problems. Yeah. Well, well mm-hmm. J- James and I come in it from two different perspectives. My parents were happy for me to buy the books. James had to go hide that he bought the yeah. books. We were from that. My, I was uh, survived the satanic panic by going underground. <laughs> literally playing in my friend's basement. So yeah. <laughs> but when you but when you find yourself as as the the number one contributor to profits, which Wizards of the Coast did, I think that that's you know obviously there's the, there is the business side of this, and Hasbro mm-hmm. is not doing well at the moment when you look at it. I mean everything I've seen. In fact, that was the interesting thing for me throughout this whole uh, crisis was watching not only what the YouTubers were doing, but watching the when how long did it take the mainstream stock press to start talking about it? When finally it hit the oh, Washington yeah. Post, that was it was about a seven day period between the time it hit YouTube and the time it finally started hitting the mainstream press, and I was waiting for some of the shareholders to get kind of riled about it, and there were a few. Uh, hedge funds that finally started speaking up too. So I'm sure that there was a, once the chorus begins to come at you from multiple directions, uh, I'm, I'm sure that that was a big, big part of it. But there was, you know, there was one aspect of this and, and I'm not going to ask you to comment on it. I'm just going to say it. And if you want to comment it, I'll leave that up to you. But um, I was very curious about the, the folks over at Critical Role because I remember distinctly when they did the Wendy's one shot and then found out that Wendy's was the one fast food joint that didn't support a union that helped the people picking the lettuce and tomatoes. 
that they dropped that like a hot potato and the communities rose up and boom, it was over with. They, they scrubbed it from their, their video feeds and everything. Although I, I downloaded the game before all that happened. So I still have it somewhere, but, uh, but then I was, I, in fact, I even tweeted, I was very surprised that the critical role that, that took that kind of action was just so quiet. And I'm sure it's contractual. I'm sure that they've got something in their agreement that says, thou shalt not disparage. I get it. I get it. But it's really been interesting, um, the interviews I've seen where, where Matt Mercer's out there. He's always got Marisha next to him. I know they're married, but I also know she's the marketing and communications person. And she answers all the questions. So I'm just... You know, I, I'm kind of curious to see how the fallout from this works for them because they are, you know, the biggest brand outside of D&D right now. And they have the ability to create their own system. They have the ability to create their own content. And I'll just be curious to see where they'll go and what they'll say and what they'll do once certain things expire for them. That was just kind of interesting for me because they were the sometimes the loudest voice. Here's my take. 100% they're working on their own game system. And I will offer my my title is Mercer and Monsters. <laughs> it's nice and alliterative. It's easy to remember. <laughs> but there's no question they are working on their own game system. And why wouldn't they? No, that's fair. Do you get a vest when you get your DM screen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but they're... Uh, <laughs> They're definitely, uh, that's where they're going. There's no question. Yeah, I, I, that's that's fair. Go ahead, James. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just uh, agreeing. I had to had to negotiate the the family pet here. So yeah, we James has a cat and a toddler back there that sometimes bleeds into our uh, our yeah. discussions, and so that that's typically where that happens. Well, I got to tell you, so I was at the I was at the friendly local game store yesterday. Uh, I was painting with some friends, somebody you know, Professor. Uh, well, Christina Stiles, she was on last time. Uh, and then uh, my, my wife was in there learning Mahjong with some friends, which was we thought was fun to bring Mahjong into the magic shop and let that sit next to each other and see what that looked like for a discussion. Um, but what was really interesting is I, I was observing people coming in and out of the store, and I saw more d and starter sets and essential sets go out the door yesterday and in even a three pack of the of the the you know the player's guide the monster manual and the dm's guide and in all instances they were little kids like sub 10 years old and their parents <laughs> coming in to get that and i thought that was really interesting that you know it's like to a degree crisis averted uh people are buying the stuff now, I asked Rob, the the owner of our friendly local game store, Carolina Tabletop Games, not a sponsor, but I always like to mention him because he's a good friend. Um, no Paizo material because it's all sold out. I, wow. I, I put on the Discord channel, and I'll put it in the show notes, there's a Humble Bundle going on right now where you can get a lot of digital Paizo content um, and, and get engaged in the game if you're interested in that. And then when I put that in the Discord, I promised Rob I'd also buy a copy when it came into a store because I don't like doing that. <laughs> that could cannibalize his sales. But anyway, it's it's just interesting to see that the TTRPG is just rolling forward. It's just going to roll forward the way it does. And you know, as for me, mm -hmm. I'll I'll always stay around the table. So anyway, the uh, I think the 
probably the biggest beneficiary of this is Paizo. Oh yeah. I think their whole their whole warehouse, I think it's that print run is sold out. You won't wow. even can print for six months. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean and I think the you were talking about the parallels earlier between Pathfinder and D and D in the past and now um D and D as as opposed to creating their uh, biggest competitor have just given it jet fuel and um, and lots of it. Yeah, because I think they were, that's interesting. They were primed with two E. Um, there were a lot of there was a lot of people that didn't like two E, but they were also primed for two E to make it more accessible, which is what I think five E did. And I think yeah. that this this is going to be that that catalyst for sure. Um, I think if anything could be said to be the weakness of of Pathfinder two. It's the fact that some people thought it was too much like D and D, and now that is a strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've played both, right? And so it's easy enough to jump back and forth. You don't hardly need to shift your head all that much, uh, the headspace to, yeah, make that transition. Says the person who's not the DM. I got to go figure out all the rules. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> But it's nice because I, I'm, I am also a follower of DM Dave. Uh, I like a lot of his content, um, and he's now becoming henceforth games. He's changing his whole piece, uh, but he also, but they also have some really nice tie-ins to Foundry VTT, and I think Foundry VTT along with Pathfinder, um, that's going to be a nice vehicle, and it, and it will be interesting to see uh, what Adam Bradford's Nexus product is going to look like once it's fully baked uh, for the Pathfinder community. Because I think those kinds of tools will not only allow, I think the the, the kerfuffle, as I also call it, will also allow uh, Paizo to compete at a very uh, competitive level in the regular space. But I think these other things are also going to give whatever yeah. Hasbro does with their VTT a run for their money, from my point of view. So, Yeah, and those tools, those are the, the kinds of tools that like my 14-year-old, um, relies on, you know, um, it's all of the sort of extra searchable click here and it kind of does the math for you behind the scene. You don't have to run through all the books and that makes her very happy. And I think there's a lot of teens um, and through like my students as well who find that much more amenable than to having a stack of, I see the paper behind you there. Uh, <laughs> and and I think what you're saying, Joe, kind of is will be the next important step for Pathfinder is having that kind of that kind of resource for that generation. And if Pathfinder's in a good space to do that, by the time the D and D movie comes out, I just I can't imagine that Gen Z is super um, brand loyal at this point, right? At this point, I'm in my mid fifties. I'm like, yeah, let's just. D&D, let's just go back and do that because I got that, you know. I've been playing that since I was 14. So, but the 16-year-old, they don't have that kind of, you know, they'll go with whatever's easiest and seems fun. And if it, you know, if they just, as long as they get to roll dice to blow shit up, they'll be happy. <laughs> That's fair. Well, um, you know, Professor Dungeon Master, I, you know, James and I both really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us uh, today and kind of yeah. talk through this. Um, you know, I think this is a, as I said last week, James and I are not content creators. Uh, we just like to play the game. 
and and we appreciate the people like Christina and others that 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 create a lot of content, and we like the people, and we appreciate the people that that keep this game accessible to everybody. And so we appreciate you know the the content that you create, continue to create, and how you have an impact on the, the game that we love so much. So thank you again. Thanks for having me, and thanks for watching Dungeon Craft. I really appreciate everybody. Yeah, I can I can con- confirm I have been a subscriber for at least a year for sure because I think it's when I discovered you is about a year ago. Thank you. Uh, and we will include a link to your cha- your main channel page in our show notes so that people who haven't found you yet I can't imagine that's possible with your hundred and ten thousand followers and our ten. <laughs> but no, no, all kidding aside, uh, to make it easy for folks to find you. And uh, so James and I typically go through the rest of this and, and talk about some other things. You're welcome to stay, or if you need to, to to go on with the rest of your day, we certainly appreciate it. Now we can talk. Are we talking board games? We're talking yeah. board games. Yeah. I'll so, stay. Oh, awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, so so James and I, when we when we finish this segment, we generally talk about what's been on our, on our table since the last time we spoke, which was two weeks ago. So James, mm-hmm. as always, I will let you go first, sir. Oh, okay. All right. Let's see here. Um, it's been pretty slow uh, a couple of weeks. Um, there has been, with a toddler in the house, it's a vector of disease. And so it comes and goes. And there's been a lot of, yeah, you have that history, you understand. So yeah, that happens. Uh, so we had a couple of just basic games where it was like, oh, we both feel terrible, but let's just do something that's not just staring at a screen. And so uh, Laura and I sat down and played Quirkle Cubes, which is a fun, you know, version of Quirkle. It's uh, you can get Quirkle everywhere. It's a pretty basic little um, pattern matching game. Super fun. Nice to do when you don't really have a lot of other energy. And then uh, we played two. We played two games of the game. One night we lost very badly and you know the game joe and professor you guys know this one the card game um so um and it's one of the things i like to i also teach a little bit of rhetorical analysis and it's a game that i like to bring out for my students because the first version of the game is this black box with a red sort of melting skull on it and these numbers in this um sort of metal font kind of thing and when I first got the game, I'm like, well, this is a super cute, fun, cooperative game. Why the hell does it look like this? And about, I don't know, six months, a year later, they came out with this flowers and mushrooms and very kind of abstract design. And now you can get it. Now you can get it in Target or Walmart or just wherever. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I show my students like, this is what it came out with originally. This is what they changed it to. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, we, we ended up losing one game and then winning the next. And it's always a, a wonderful feeling when you get to, to win this little co-op. Uh, and then I had some fun. Speaking of uh, all things Watsy, I guess. Um, so Soulforge Fusion is coming out, which is a weird sort of, you know, a former digital game that they made into a now tabletop version. It's um, Richard Garfield who brought us Magic the Gathering and then tried to atone for his sins by uh, doing um, Keyforge, right? And, uh, and, but then I think Keyforge was kind of a, well, one, it's the very fun um, algorithmically driven cards, right? So there you have these very unique decks based on these algorithms and they also have algorithmically generated names, which 
I guess apparently from time to time early on, there were some sort of very sketchy words that got into the the names of some of these decks. And there was a whole kerfuffle, if you will, Joe, mm-hmm. um, about that um, early on as well. And But the thing about Keyforge is that you couldn't customize the decks at all, right? So you just bought the deck. And so it solved the, the rich boy problem, right? Whoever had the most money had the best magic deck and they would win. And so Keyforge solved that by saying, no, you just have this deck that you can play. And Soulforge is kind of a going back. And so it's this hybrid game where you get two half decks and any two half decks and you combine them and play it. And it's a little fussier, I think, than Keyforge. And also um, participates in this uh, new genre version of things where you don't have rules in the box either. And you go to their website and you try to, oh, and it was a, it was a very bad Laura listened to me say many swear words in order and in algorithmically generated phrases um, and so I don't know um, we had a good time when we finally got it set, figured out and playing it Laura was like mm, I don't think I'm going to like this this doesn't feel like my jam and then about halfway through I would noticed her like leaning forward and really kind of thinking about stuff and it was super fun so um, had a so interesting first kind of a mixed positive um initial reaction we'll play it some more and see uh see what i get for final thoughts on that after a couple more plays and but professor dungeon fun. and professor dungeon master just for us as, as being a relatively new podcast this will be episode number 17 for us um this is the first time a game just showed up we no, neither of us ordered this game so we don't really know if it was an accident or if they actually sent it to us but they didn't bother to tell us why so that's how james ended up looking at that game um, well, on, I mean, you have a bunch of stuff that looks like that was hitting your table. Yeah, we, we had a few things. Uh, I think we, we played Basilica a little bit further, uh, and just for, uh, Professor Dungeon Master's edification. So in the friendly local game store in Pineville, uh, there, there's another, there's a much larger podcast in town called Rolling Dice and Taking Names. And those gentlemen had invited the designer of Basilica to stay with them for a while when he was touring the States. And so we got to see it play tested the 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 reprint t- uh play tested at the store so i bought a copy of it it's a nice head-to-head two-player game and uh, my wife and i like it a lot which is interesting because it's one of those games where you actually can be mean to each other if you have to win and my wife doesn't like games where you have to where you have to be mean to each other to win um so we've played that a little bit longer and then uh, we have, as you can imagine, with the obsessive compulsive problems that we have, <clears throat> a shelf of shame, which is a game still in the shrink wrap that we've never played. And so finally, uh, after about a year, uh, Aqua Garden finally made it to the table. And that is a delightful game. I got to say, it, yeah. like, the mechanic on it. Uh, actually, it's, it's, just, it's, it's interesting. They have a two-player mechanic very similar to Dog Park where you add this third meeple in there to uh, kind of create yeah. a barrier. But in terms of the theme, it's uh, it's great. And then also because of the way that you have to sort of solve a puzzle, you think it's going to be really easy. But then as you begin to th- start solving the puzzle, you realize it's very hard because each of your tank, each of your tanks in your aquarium, you're, you're actually building an aquarium in town. That's Aqua oh. Garden. Each of the tanks in your aquarium, and there are six, only have a four value of oxygen. And your fish take away the oxygen. 
in the water. And you can put things in to add it back, but only so much. And so it becomes a real resource management, thinking ahead, how to play game. And it's very well balanced. Uh, Dale and I have both taken turns winning the game. Not, you know, we either one or the other has won. And our scores were maybe four to six points apart. So it's really well balanced. You're, nobody's running away with it. You have a shot up until the end of the game. Uh, and there's there's different – I wouldn't call it a point salad, but there's different ways that you can bolster it with bonuses uh, at the end. And I think that it was just uh, a big surprise. And we have some of the expansions uh, for this game. And it's a, Jap- it's a Japanese design game. Uh, I'm going to blow this name completely wrong. The designer is uh, to- Totsuka Chow. Or, the last name is spelled C-H-U-O. I'm going to leave it there. I'm sure I said that wrong. Please do not send me hate mail. Um, but we love love the game a lot. Um, and then I think I told it you. It looks like a fairly small box for all the activity that's going on. It's in a there. small box, but it's a, it expands big. A lot of nice cool. wooden meeples. They do a nice job. Uh, the publisher has done a really nice job. It, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. I'll, I will put it in the show notes below. Aqua Garden. Uh, we actually have a couple of the, the sequels because I got it as part of a a Kickstarter that uh, my friend Grace, we have this rule. If she backs a Kickstarter, she tells me, and if I think it looks interesting, I'll back it and vice versa. So that's kind of how I got it. Um, but but it just took a while to get on the table. Uh, and then the last thing uh, is, I think you know my, we, we, we have a friend of the show. Um, he's a police officer here in Charlotte. Um, he and his wife have adopted uh, uh, some lovely young ladies from China that are both special needs in their own way. I'll leave it there. Um, they were hoping at some point that they could expose their daughters to Mahjong. And it just so happens that from our church, we have a couple of friends that one, one is from Indonesia and the other one's uh, just traveled a lot and has played a lot of Mahjong. So we got them all together at the store yesterday to learn Mahjong. And that's that whole Mahjong versus magic thing. Um, <laughs> So that was really kind of cool to begin that process. And, of course, as you can imagine, it's not a one-off kind of thing and you're done because there's so much nuance to that game. And there's an American version versus a Chinese version. I won't get into all that. But uh, my wife got to play that. I didn't play it, but my wife got to play it. And so that was kind of – I wanted to include that just because I love the story uh, behind that. But up next for us is we're going to finally – this is a more recent shrink-wrapped one, but it is Wonderland at Wonderland's War. Oh, Yeah. We are, I've heard very good things about that. I'd be very interested to see hear how that plays. Our goal is to get it out. Our, our, we have some friends that, that maybe demystified it a little bit for us, so we're going to ah, see. Okay. Professor, what about in your world? Uh, do you have any other games that don't involve tabletops that you've been playing? Yeah, I, we're big board gamers in this family, and especially my wife. And uh, there are three that we've been playing over the last uh, six weeks. Cat in a Box, which is a, a trick-taking game. Uh, that is very popular amongst my friends and also my nieces and nephews, where you don't get to see the color on the card. And that is super easy to pick up. It's a lot of fun. So Cat in a Box, is, we've been playing that quite a bit. Um, I still love Wingspan. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I could play Wingspan <laughs> forever. And I just got one of the um, expansions for that. Was it Asia? Yeah. Asia? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. 
And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if we've opened it yet, but I just, I could play wing and I'm not good at it, <laughs> but <laughs> I think my wife is tired of it because she doesn't win. Oh. <laughs> she, she, uh, my daughter, my daughter used to always beat us. And now that my daughter uh, moved to a different state recently, so we are we're playing uh, by ourselves, and I always just edge my way about. Um, but I've just I'm fascinated with wingspan. I could play it forever. And so if you've got the if it is the Asia expansion, it's got the duet mode for just the two player game. That's really really quite intriguing. Uh, okay, so we got to definitely. Yeah, I think we've gotten that out of the shrink wrap. I'm gonna have to tell her that we'll we'll do that tonight. Yeah. Because I'm just a nut about Wingspan. I think that when I go to like Gen Con, I'll probably play that more than Dungeons and Dragons. I just I could play forever. I yeah. love that. That's our that's one of our favorite games. And there's another uh, new game. I don't know if it's uh, on Kickstarter now, uh, but I've gotten an advanced copy. I know Bloat Games is selling at conventions. It's called Play Rewind Eject. It's a very simple game. It's a list of movies. It's a, it's a party game. Mm -hmm. And you get these cards, and you bet. You get three movies, and the person whose turn it is, you have to bet whether they would play this movie, like they think it's perfect. Would they rewind it, which means you reboot it with a different cast, or would you eject it? All right, so you might get the usual suspects, Titanic and Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> and it's great because th this is a game that just like anyone can play at a, at a party. And it leads to interesting conversations about what people think are their, you know, their favorite films and who didn't see the Godfather. <laughs> yeah. Uh, play Rewinded Jack by uh, Bloat Games is great. I know my, my daughter's played it with her friends. My, I've played with my friends. It's just very light if you're people are looking for something that maybe for non-gamers too, because it's really a conversation starter. But it's a nice little game. Nice, nice. And that you said uh, bloat games, and that's available now or coming soon. I got it at a convention. I think it's available. Okay. I think it's cool. available, or he was kickstarting it, or he's kickstarting. I'll, I'll look. I like to. Our meth, our mo is we take the BGG sheet for each of the games and we put them in our show notes. So I'll see if I can find it, and if I can, I'll find the the Kickstarter or the game found and put it in there. That sounds great. I like that it still feels like it's got kind of that eighties nineties VCR kind of language yeah. to it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, we're we're big Wingspan fans. Also, we we were able to actually teach that to my in laws. We were in Colorado on a two week trip. And, uh, of course, I took an ATA-approved case full of games. And uh, we taught them Wingspan, and it was such a delightful trip, and they liked the game so much. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Natalie Rojas sells those prints of the cards of the artwork. And so we kept – I have a daughter named Maggie, and we kept seeing magpies all over Colorado. So that became a thing because that's what we called her when she was a child. Um, and so we got my in-laws the, the, the prints of those birds and framed them for them for, for Christmas as a memorial – or remembrance of that trip, which was which was kind of cool, but it's just what Elizabeth Hargraves has done with that whole ecosystem, along with uh, the the folks over there at Stonemeyer Games, is is just absolutely great. Um, but for us, uh, when my wife and I play Mariposas, she can't win, 
win at Mariposas, which is another Hargraves game. If you haven't checked that one out and you like Wingspan, I think you'll like like that as well. Okay. So board games in the news. Uh, there was a big announcement this week. Did you see this, James? I was going to say, speaking of Stone <laughs> Yeah, he, I, I think, he, I don't know if he surprised, he surprised me. I'll leave it there. Um, with this, uh, I guess, a sequel to Scythe, the Expeditions game due out in July. That was uh, a pretty interesting drop on that. The video looks, was pretty neat as well. Um, I don't know if you Yeah, had... no, that definitely caught my attention. Um, I kickstarted Scythe the first time around um, and it was easy enough to like commit to being a completionist with side because it was like, we only have X number of expansions and then we're done. So that was nice. Um, and then, then he went there. and did this <laughs> and I thought, Oh man. Uh, but it looks, I mean, it looks like a nice um, sort of card driven um, more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Modular sort of exploration uh, that sort of builds on the same world look and steampunk vibe that scythe had and uh and i it yeah i'm very interested to see how other people find it in the um when they play it and see what they think otherwise i don't know <laughs> like oh no more side but uh i do i do love the game but yeah we'll see well what's interesting to me is i love how he calls it a sequel it's kind of like what um mm -hmm. they did with evolution and oceans Oceans is a sequel to Evolutions. It's not an expansion. So they stand alone. And I think yeah. that there's a, there, I think there's an intimidation factor of Scythe for some people. They see the yeah. big box. They see all the mech. They're not really sure. They don't really know how accessible the game is. And this might be a game that kind of leads into that. I don't know. I, that's just speculation on my part. But I was just kind of, kind of glad to see it. I don't know. Uh, Professor, did you happen to note that this week? I did not. But I can tell you now that... Uh... I have a feeling I know what people are going to be running for at Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good bet. It's a pretty good bet. Well, that's the only other, I mean, obviously we could sit here and talk more OGL news, but I think all that's been covered thus far. So those was the, that was the most notable thing I caught this since we were last together about board games. Um, as yeah. we move on to sort of, I, I've modified our Kickstarter section to be Kickstarter Game Found for a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, Game Found is in that business now. Um, mm -hmm. and they've got some really That's interesting cool. titles that are kind of going their way. Um, so we generally call this section Kickstarter game found backed or intrigued by, or just games I picked up because you know, it's, it's a problem. But one thing I have been failing to mention the last couple episodes, cause we've been so deep in the weeds on the OGL is I actually backed the, my first Kickstarter of the year and, ah. it, and it was totally not a board game. Oh, what'd you, what'd you kick? It is called Pirates and Sailors, A Nightmare at Sea, and it's nothing but STL files. Uh, for the professor's edification, I got a resin printer and a PLA printer at Christmas time, and I have been printing. In fact, most of what we were painting yesterday were the resin minis that I printed. Um, and, I, and, I, and ever since I ran Ghosts of the Salt Marsh, I thought, boy, I don't want to buy that ship that that whiz kids sell, but boy, I'd like to have some boats for the tabletop. And so, um, I thought this was a really inexpensive way. It's like, it was like 60 bucks. There's only like one area, one tier, if you will. I think there's another tier if you want to license it and print the boats and sell them on Etsy, which I don't really want to do. Uh, but it's just, uh, the sculpts look really great. The, the company has done this kind of thing before with different themes. So if you're looking for terrain, um, 
and stuff like that. I, I thought it was just an interesting get, and uh, I've got a printer now, so what else to do but print? <laughs> uh, I, I have been intrigued by Batman, of course, Escape from Arkham Asylum by Night Games. Okay. Um, I haven't backed it for a couple reasons. Number one, to get the level of buy-in that I would want, I would have to spend money that would be commiserate to what Elden Ring was looking for back at Christmas time. And I'm not interested in doing that. And I did back, which I'll talk about in a second, Harry Potter Catch the Snitch, which is also by Night Games. They also did the Harry Potter's miniature games. Oh, right, yes. And it has still not arrived. It's allegedly shipped. But what I'm reading is that the quality of what's coming out of the box, there's some broken pieces and stuff like that that I've seen in the chat. I don't, but you know, if everything's perfect, people don't jump on and say, hey, everything's perfect. It's usually when there's a problem. So I'm kind of waiting to yeah. see until I get my own. But, uh, but unfortunately, it will arrive after it has ended. So I think it's just a matter of uh, ignoring it. But the sculpts on this thing look amazing. And if uh, he's got, they had some stretch goals that once they reached a certain piece, the penguin sculpt, you had an option to use one that looked like Danny DeVito from the Batman movie. They have one that looks like Michelle Pfeiffer from the Catwoman movie. I mean, they've done a really nice job. Wow. Night, night models and night games are officially licensed by Warner Brothers, so they've got the Harry Potter. They've got the Batman. I've, I've read that they've, they're going to get a Game of Thrones or Song of Ice wow. and Fire kind of thing uh, for their, their pieces. I, I, just, I just couldn't do it, particularly since right next to it is Andromeda's Edge by Cardboard Alchemy, okay. and it's – got some really nice sculpts and it's a fraction of the price and well, some of these sculpts it, it's kind of like star trek meets tapestry meets scythe it's a really interesting concept for a game uh, and i'll put those in the show notes uh there i'm going to pause and breathe in case you either of you want to comment on either of those <laughs> hearing none no, I, <laughs> go ahead. you'll notice that uh joe is the one that's that's hitting the the kickstarter a lot a lot harder than uh, than i do that's just how the world works. Difference is, he has a toddler. I don't. This is yeah. This, this is a big. <laughs> true. No, all kidding aside. Uh, but I did get the notification that Catch the Snitch is coming out. They're using a, a, a logistics distributor out of Poland. Um, and it okay. it is shipped. So um, it is somewhere in customs in Germany right now. I think is what I latest was the latest I got from FedEx. So it'll probably be here by the end of next week. So I will be able to report, did I get it? What were the sculpts like? And, oh, yeah. and am I kicking myself for going, oh They're my gosh. Either the beauty or the damage, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and speaking of Polish games, uh, I was able to pick up a copy of Meadow Downstream. Uh, ah. Meadow, um, for if, again, if you like Wingspan, Meadow's a great game. And what I, what's interesting for me, the first thing I noticed with Meadow is that it was, it was designed in Poland and it was printed in Poland. And when you get a game that comes from there and you get a game that comes from China, I mean, they're both colorful and they're very nice. It's just different. The feel is different. The quality is, is different. And we just have loved Meadow. It was one of our favorite games last year. And when I saw that there was a... Um, an expansion. I just had to get it. Cause when Dale falls in love with the game, I, you got to keep her going down that path. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I got it through Zadu games in England because I couldn't find a distributor here in the U S. And so it was like, 
18 euro plus shipping for the expansion. So 20 bucks plus $10 okay. shipping, something like that. So those are the things that I've gotten. And um, this is where both of you will look at me with both shame and derision because I, I, I am a collector. And so I did place an order for keys from the Golden Vault alternative cover through my friendly local game store who will get profit off of it and feed his family. That's good. And I was looking at one of the things that I, when I saw, I was looking at this description of this and looking at it a little bit. And I was remembering looking through some of the, um, uh, some of the professor's uh, videos and there was the, how to run a heist, how to have uh, get characters running across uh, uh, rooftops and this kind of thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, nice. Um, questions i hadn't had so it was kind of fun to just just have this kind of in my life for the last couple of days looking at that <laughs> see this so thanks for watching yeah uh, that 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 one took a long time to make you know with those little miniatures um the reviled society supercut is up now and it's like all of them together 40 minutes of them wow and those all together i mean they took weeks to make so i appreciate everybody watching them yeah no there's a lot of great stuff on that channel and uh and uh, yeah lots of uh, and what one of the things that i really like about it is it takes a couple of different ways into the hobby into dnd into tabletop rpgs um from the crafting to the dming to the like how you just think about these things generally so um it kind of covers bases I always, Joe and I had this conversation a little while ago that, that somebody should open a, a craft store slash game store that has, you know, uh, exacto knives and hot glue guns and yeah. But anyway, yeah. So just think about that for a second. No, it's, it, it's, um, it's fun. And I think the, the, I love the idea of having some one shots that you can throw in and also have some mechanics, but, I, but I, but I have to echo what, what James was saying, what you, what you're doing with the, with your your videos the production values when you're using the minis and stuff is just just really amazing i, I can imagine just knowing that how hard that is <laughs> how much time that takes to do <laughs> a long time <laughs> yeah well um we're coming up to the end uh as usual uh we thank uh professor dungeon master for being with us this go around we, we hope to have other guests uh coming up we've got i've got a really good friend who is about to publish her book on uh tabletop role playing and a psycho in a psychiatry type of environment and her book is going to drop in march and i'm still kind of working out the date with her so i'll save that and leave that as a teaser but we'll get that set up and uh and as usual we just really appreciate it anytime we can we can have somebody on and and really help uh uh, our community better understand what's going on, but also just having an, an, a nice conversation about things that we're passionate about. So thank you again. And as usual, I am Joe Mahaffey, and I am not bored. I am bored gaming. And I'm James Engelhardt, hoping that all your tiebreakers break your way. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. I got a new game. It's gonna be great. It's the latest craze of 1988. And a drawing pad It's gonna be gnarly It's gonna be rad It's Pictionary Put your piece on the board Pictionary Now what was that word? Pictionary Are oh, this sketch is absurd Pictionary I'm drawing a